And what is going on, sports fans? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 25 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. Anchor is the absolute easiest way to make a podcast. We are going to hear an ad from them in the middle of this episode. If you're on Spotify and Anchor, you will hear a pre-recorded ad. And if you're watching on YouTube, you will get a live ad read. So that is pretty exciting. We got a lot to talk about on today's show, including J.J. Watt finally making his free agency decision. We have some March Madness, as you can see on YouTube behind me. It's March, officially March, March 2nd, and you know what that means. March Madness is right around the corner. I talk about the landscape of college basketball, as well as some teams you should circle as your favorite to go all the way in your brackets this year. We also got some NBA talk, the Cavs. I ragged on them last episode, and they've gone 4-0 since then. What's that all about? And spring training has started across the MLB. Let's get right on into it. Let's start with a pretty serious story involving Cleveland's baseball team, and it and it goes back to former pitching coach Mickey Calloway. So this story was reported by The Athletic. The Athletic is a great website. Zach Meisel, he is a reporter for the Cleveland Indians on The Athletic. Um, he, $3.99 a month to subscribe to The Athletic. They report on, like, these, these big sports stories that matter, the, the kind of the serious sports stories. Um, this basically said that Callaway acted inappropriately toward female uh, employees, both on, when he was with the Indians and when he was with the Mets. And today there was a report that came out that um, Terry Francona, Chris Antonetti, and Mike Chernoff were made aware of all these incidents and that they didn't do anything. And basically the big controversy was that Antonetti spoke to the media a couple weeks ago and said that he knew nothing about it and basically kind of lied to the media. And the Indians are in kind of hot water, and rightfully so. Uh, Terry Francona came out with a statement today. Let me get it up for you here and read it to you. Basically um, saying that there it now is not the time to comment on the situation. I respect that, um, but it, it, there's going to be a time to comment. Comment on this situation, and I think it's just a bad look for the Indians, a team that has dealt with so much in the past year in terms of changing their name, just trading away their best player and getting a lot of backlash because of that. And now this really, really bad situation. So Terry Francona said earlier today, "quote Right now, it's just not the right time to respond to some of the questions. I'm sure you have. I do hope at some point we are able to because I think we need to. Just know that we take this very, very seriously." And I apologize. And then the team came out with a statement later saying, and I quote, our organization continues to actively cooperate with MLB on their investigation into Mickey Calloway. It is important we honor the confidentiality and integrity of that investigation. While we don't believe the reporting to date reflects who we are as an organization, we will not comment further on the specifics of this matter. We remain committed to creating an inclusive work environment where everyone, regardless of gender, can feel safe and comfortable comfortable at all times. We will let our actions, not just our words, reflect our commitment. So the Indians are in the wrong, um, but I think the team that's more in the wrong is the Los Angeles Angels. And I know you're thinking, Callaway didn't do anything with the Angels, but Callaway is still employed as the Los Angeles Angels pitching coach. He should not be employed. Quite simple as that. The things that he did, you can go read the report for yourself. I read the whole report. The reporting from Zach Meisel and Ken Rosenthal. The things that Callaway did, he should not have a job in Major League Baseball. And it sets a bad precedent that someone like him would get away with something like this. So that's just my opinion on the whole matter. But I hope that the Indians organization and the team can move on from it, can do the right thing, can right all their wrongs, and just get back to playing some hopefully winning baseball. Moving in from... To another bizarre story involving the Cleveland Indians, this one's a little bit less serious. It's kind of a little bit 
more puzzling to me. So a couple weeks ago, obviously we know Francisco Lindor has no longer a member of the Cleveland Indians. He's now on the New York Mets, and he's been talking to the media in New York. And, you know, the media in New York's a different animal. Um, during his, it was one of the first press conferences he had as a member of the New York Mets. He said something to the effect of he didn't work as hard as he would have liked to at the in the weight room at the end of last season for the Cleveland Indians, and it definitely affected his on-field play and that he sucked at the plate, basically. And today, he had an interesting take since, I don't know about you, but a professional athlete not taking their work off the field seriously to me, you could maybe throw around the word lazy with that. Well, today, Francisco Lindor, I'm going to make sure I call him Francisco Lindor, you'll see why in a minute, had something to say to the Mets uh, broadcasters today. So the Mets broadcast spring training today said that Francisco Lindor thought that the people who started calling him Frankie in Cleveland were being lazy. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think the timing of a player who admitted in a press conference that he didn't work as hard in the weight room at the end of last season, that it affected his play on the field, I think it's a little weird that he's calling people and media members in Cleveland lazy for using a nickname for him. I, I don't know if that's just me. I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm jumping to too many conclusions there, but Really, Francisco? Really? We're the lazy ones? You just said you didn't honor your contract. You didn't work to the best of your ability to put your best effort out on the field. And now you're going and calling us lazy for giving you a nickname. A nickname which 90% of the players on your team, your teammates, and your coaching staff called you. I don't get it. But <laughs> I thought that was a little weird. Um, you know, normally when players, like, we'll get to J.J. Watt in a minute. Normally when players leave a situation in a city, they comment on some of the issues within the organization. You look at James Harden commenting on the Houston Rockets. You look at, I don't know, guys like LeBron commenting on Miami and Cleveland when he left those cities. I think Francisco Lindor commenting on people calling him Frankie might be the most hilarious example of a complaint by an athlete after they left the city. It just It's just weird to me. It's just out of all the things Francisco Lindor could have said about his time in Cleveland, the one negative takeaway he had was that people called him Frankie. I guess don't call him Frankie. Francisco, that's fun to say, right? Yeah, so uh, Francisco was not happy that he got called Frankie, and so... That's just a lesson to you guys. Make sure you ask someone what their preferred nickname and name is um, so you don't mess it up, you know? Uh, I don't know. Frankie, Francisco, Cisco, Franco, whatever. I just hope the guy has success in New York because he did a lot of great things for the Cleveland Indians organization, and I wish him the best in New York. All right, let's move from professional baseball. We'll, sh we'll shift back to baseball in the second half of the episode. We're going to go to J.J. Watt. Because J.J. Watt Watch 2021 came and went as soon as it got here. J.J. Watt announced via Twitter yesterday he is signing with the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, you heard that right. The Arizona Cardinals. The guy who said he wants to contend for a Super Bowl, to play close to home in the Midwest, and have a good quarterback. Those were his three main qualifications for signing with the team. He's going to the Cardinals. The Cardinals were coached by Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who got fired from a college coaching job later to two weeks, two weeks later got promoted to an NFL coaching job. A guy who has a quarterback who is about 5'9". He's fast. Kyler Murray is a fast quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He might even be a great quarterback, but he's not a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. That roster, 
is very talented. They're going to have a good good defensive line. They're going to have, I think, Chandler Jones on one side, and then they're going to have J.J. Watt on the other side. They should have a pretty good offensive line, but they're not a Super Bowl contender. And I think J.J. Watt was looking for, for the, looking more for the money than for the Super Bowl contention because the Arizona Cardinals gave him $23 million guaranteed. $23 million guaranteed. That's more than any other team offered him. There was a report yesterday that said the Colts and the Browns offered them him more. That wasn't true. I think that report was probably put out by J.J.'s agent. But um, anyway, J.J. Watt signs with the Cardinals. A little bit of a surprising move to me, as I mentioned, because he said, J.J. Watt said the biggest qualification for him in terms of picking the team was the quarterback. And so if the three top teams, we'll, we'll, we'll see the top five teams for J.J. Watt in the sweepstakes. Were, we'll throw the Cardinals in there. We'll say the Cardinals, the Packers, the Bills, the Browns, and the Colts. Kyler Murray is the fifth best quarterback on that list. Carson Wentz in his prime. I think Carson Wentz is going to be an MVP candidate this year. Carson Wentz is better than Kyler Murray. Baker Mayfield is better than Kyler Murray. Josh Allen's better than Kyler Murray. Aaron Rodgers is better than Kyler Murray. He's the last quarterback on the list. I, I, I don't understand it. Those five teams also, I think, are better than the Arizona Cardinals. I would pick those five teams to go to the Super Bowl before I'd pick the Arizona Cardinals to go to the Super Bowl. And I'm not saying the Cardinals are a bad team. The Cardinals will make the playoffs next season. They'll make the playoffs. They won't win their division because they're in with the Rams. The Rams who just got a franchise quarterback in Matthew Stafford. The Rams who had the number one defense in the NFL. And they're in with the Seahawks who have Mr. Unlimited, Russell Wilson himself. And they have Pete Carroll. And they have a pretty good roster that's been winning for the last 10 plus seasons. They're not going to win the division. And they're not going to be in contention for a Super Bowl. They will be in contention for a playoff spot. I think Watt made the decision based off the money rather than winning, which is what he said his top priority was. That's just my opinion. All right, and so what does this mean for the Browns? Let's talk about what this means for the Browns. Obviously, the Browns were looking at J.J. Watt as a potential free agent signing. They wanted to put him opposite Miles Garrett. Obviously, it didn't roll that way. So who do I think the Browns should target in free agency? Number one name on my list in terms of linebacker. I think the Browns need to prioritize defense both in the draft, in free agency, and in any trades they can get. Defense, defense, defense should be the top priority because their offense is pretty much set at this point. They might have to tweak a few things. They got to bring back Rashard Higgins. But other than that, I think their offense is pretty set. But they need to tweak that defense in more ways than one. Um, I think the top free agent target for the Browns should be Levante David. Levante David of the Tampa Bay Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Levante David, the dude is great. He's an awesome, awesome player. Let me get his stats up for you here. He's a free agent. He's 31 years old, coming off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are going to have to use money to re-sign Chris Godwin, to re-sign playoff Lenny Leonard Fournette. Um, the Browns are looking after him. He, um, apparently, he, he is on the Browns' radar. They really need help with the linebacker position in the worst way. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland.com reported yesterday, the Browns' Levante David are, are among the free agents on the Browns' ra radar. So, I mean, Bucks' Levante David is among the free agents on the Browns' radar. There's much to like about David. Um, he was a second-team All-Pro this season, 117 tackles, 12 tackles for loss, one-and-a-half sacks, three forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries recoveries. He was number eight on pro football focus lists of the top 200 free agents. So if David can't work out a new deal with the Buccaneers, which is reportedly his desire, the Browns should pounce on him immediately. There's no question he'd be an improvement 
He's only 31. He he's not that he's old. He's young for football, and he will immediately elevate that linebacker room with the names like PJ Goodson, Malcolm Smith, Sione Taki Taki, Jacob Phillips, Mac Wilson, and so on and so forth. It becomes a bit more difficult to see the Browns paying one player almost double the amount of that those those guys I read to you: Goodson, Smith, Taki Taki, Phillips, Wilson, and a, three other like small backup linebackers. They were paid 7.2 million combined last year. Levante David would probably make around 13, 14 million a year. I don't know if the Browns would like to double their whole linebacker room salary just for one guy, but I think Levante David is a game changer. He will he will continue to be linked to the Browns right up until he signs a new contract. Um, but given the combination of his age at 31 and his salary demands, it might be unlikely that Andrew it might be likely that Andrew Barry sits this one out. So who else do I think the Browns should go after? Bud Dupree of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's coming off an ACL injury for the Steelers. The Steelers obviously don't have much cap room. They did restructure their deal with Big Ben. Big Ben will be back in Pittsburgh next season. But Bud Dupree, man, before he went down last year, he was a menace. He's really good. So he played in 11 games last year. Um, He had two forced fumbles, eight sacks, 31 tackles, um, and eight tackles for loss. The year before that, 11 and a half sacks, 68 tackles, 16 tackles for loss. The dude can play, and he's a really good player. And I think he's young. He's way younger. He's only 27. He's more, he's on a team-friendly contract. You can get him for around, I would say, 9, 10, 11 million since he's coming off an injury. He would fit perfectly with this Browns team. And another player the Browns have been linked to, we'll end the, the Browns free agency linebacker discussion here, is, you, you guessed it, Von Miller. Just got released by the Denver Broncos. And I'm going to tell you why I'm weary of this. Mac Wilson, the Browns' um, third-year linebacker, uh, tweeted as soon as J.J. Watt signed. He tweeted, Welp, let me go and hit up at Von Miller. Hey, big head. And then he said, Von Miller and Miles Garrett. I'm going to pray on this one. Make it happen at Browns. I'm a little more skeptical of Von Miller. We all know Von Miller. All pro. Super Bowl MVP. The guy can play football. But he's being investigated by the NFL right now for a domestic violence incident, which means he might get suspended next season. And Von Miller is going to require that top tier. He's going to be $20 million at least, at least. And I don't think the Browns should spend that much money on an aging pass rusher. And that's just my opinion. But that's all that I, we, we're going to talk about with the Browns. Let's go ahead and before we go to break, let's talk about some NBA basketball here. And... I'm going to start with two stats. Um, the Cavs are 4-0 in their last four games. We'll start there. They have beat teams like the Philadelphia 76ers, the Houston Rockets, They've and they've beaten the Atlanta Hawks, and they've beaten uh, the Rockets twice and the Sixers. They beat the Sixers in overtime, 112-109. Colin Sexton yesterday dropped 39 points. Darius Garland on Saturday against the Sixers dropped a career-high 25 points. I literally just ranked – last week – uh, you guys pr- pr- listen, so you probably remember. Last week, I ranked the Cavs 29th out of 30 in the NBA Power Rankings. And they're 4-0 since then. I think they listened to my podcast, played it in the locker room, and were like, this kid doubts us. Let's use it as bullets with more material. And honestly, Cavs, keep doing it. Because the Eastern Conference is wide open. Which brings me to my next NBA stat I want to tell you. If you look up the NBA standings right now, which we are going to do, do you want to guess who the fourth place team in the, in the NBA Eastern Conference is? So the first three, for reference, the first three are the 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Who would you guess is number four? Maybe the Miami Heat, who made the finals last year. 
maybe the Boston Celtics, maybe the Toronto Raptors. You would be wrong, my friend, because the fourth team in the NBA Eastern Conference is the New York Knicks. The Knicks. They're fourth in the Eastern Conference with the All-Star break only like two weeks away. It's remarkable. I've never seen anything like it. This Knicks team has turned it around so fast thanks to All-Star power forward Julius Randle. They're 18 and 17. They're playing together, and they look like a force. And I'm not just saying that to say that. They look like they're good. Let's take a look at Julius Randle's stats. He was named an All-Star last week. First All-Star appearance for the big man out of Kentucky. And it's about time this guy's been an All-Star because he's been a good player for a long time. Julius Randle's averaging 23.4 points and 11 rebounds and 6 assists. That's All-Star worthy numbers. And this Knicks turnaround has been remarkable. Tom Thibodeau, the, the, I know we, we um, uh, over at the Just Hoops uh, uh, show, uh, we ragged on the Knicks for hiring Tom Thibodeau. He's a defensive-minded coach. We said the defensive-minded coach doesn't work in the NBA today. Tom Thibodeau is making it work pretty good. Uh, the Knicks are holding teams. Let me look at their defensive stats because, man, they are holding teams to, to very, very low totals. And they're just – let me look up New York Knicks defensive stats, defensive team stats, because there was a game against – they beat the Cavs twice this year. And there was a game um, – they held the Cavs to, like, under 81 points. Like, what the heck? I, like, I, like I, I didn't see this coming at all. Like you, When you talk about the New York Knicks in the re recent years, they're like the laughing stock of the league. They're always going to be top five in picks. This year, they're fourth in the Eastern Conference. They're 18 and 17. They're playing well. Look at their defensive stats. They're only they're, – here, they're, they're first in points per game allowed, second in defensive rebounds, first in field goal percentage allowed, and first in three-point percentage allowed. That is really good, and that proves that Tom Thibodeau and defensive coaches in the NBA can still be successful. Can still be successful. All right, one more quick NBA story, then we're going to take a quick break and come back talking some March Madness, some spring training baseball, and just around the sports landscape in general. Let's get into one more NBA story. It involves Richard Jefferson, and I know you Cleveland fans remember Richard Jefferson. He was a part of the 2016 2015-2016 NBA champion, Cleveland Cavaliers. Richard Jefferson had an interesting quote the other night. Um, it was after the Lakers absolutely blew out the Warriors. The Lakers, by the way, they are not playing that well without Anthony Davis. Um, obviously, Anthony Davis is out with a, I believe it's a calf strain. He's out for at least a month. I think this is his second week of being out. He'll be out past the All-Star break. But, um... Richard Jefferson had this to say after the Knicks, um, not the Knicks, I got the Knicks on the mind. The Lakers blew out uh, the, the Warriors the other night. Um, Richard Jefferson said, and I quote, One thing that we gloss over because the game has changed. Remember all the turning around and high-fiving each other because Steph is that good of a shooter? Like 90s basketball players, early 2000s players, that would have been a fight. That would have 100% been a fight. But the rules have changed, and all that stuff is good and fine now. Other players are doing it. So the point is, they were doing they were doing some historically disrespectful stuff on the court and whooping you. And there was nothing you could do about it. So now that you're down, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to put that gas pedal. I don't care how far you are down. We're going to keep that gas pedal. When I say that he was doing disrespectful stuff, it's not. That's part of the game. It's as cool as a bat flip. 
It's whatever. But 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that would have never been allowed. So there are still some old heads in the game that want to put it on them for the show. And I think that's a perfect example by Richard Jefferson. I thought the Warriors the Warriors were good, but they were cocky. You can't tell me they weren't cocky because they were. They were very cocky because they were winning. They're the best team in the league for a reason, and they won because they were they knew they were better than everybody else. But the the Lakers beat the Warriors the other night 117 to 91, and they just kept shooting and shooting and shooting. And sometimes there's a point in a blowout game when a team puts their foot off the gas pedal. And what Richard Jefferson's saying, he saw it firsthand. He was on those Cavs teams that went up against the Warriors year after year. He saw it firsthand. He thought what they were doing could be viewed as disrespectful by some in the NBA landscape. And that's why he thinks that teams are not putting their foot off the gas for the Warriors this year. And I completely agree with him. All right, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, March Madness talk, NCAA conference tournament talks, spring training baseball, and much, much more. So please stay with us. And welcome back to part two of season two, episode 25 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. It is March, ladies and gentlemen, and you know what that means. Two things, spring training baseball and March Madness is coming. March Madness is almost here, and I can't believe it because last March, I know this COVID pandemic has taken so much from it from us, and it's it's really it's really sad how long it's go, gone on. But as a sports fan, one of the biggest things that took away from me as a sports fan was March Madness, and it was so weird not having March Madness last year. And I'm so happy we're having it back this year. So for those of you that don't know, the men's March Madness tournament will all their games will be played in a bubble-like format in Indianapolis, Indiana. And all the women's March Madness games will be played down in San Antonio. So right now, we're going to talk about my teams to watch in college basketball and who I think you should circle for your bracket for March Madness for both the men's and the women's side. So let's start with the men's because the men's is kind of when you think of March Madness, that's the bracket you fill out first. So let's take a look at the men's basketball top 25 as we head in to the last week of the season, conference championship week. It will, will not be this week, but it will be next week. So let's take a look at the rankings for the top 25. Number one's Gonzaga. They're undefeated. They're 24 and 0. Um, they could, they should be num- the number one seed in March Madness. Now I know I'm a Buckeye fan. If I had a first place vote right now for the AP Top 25, my number one team would be the Michigan Wolverines. And here's why. They're 18-1. They're not 24-0. They're 18-1. They have one loss. They play, in my opinion, in the best conference of college basketball in the Big Ten. I was watching Ohio State's game versus Iowa on Saturday. Or Sunday, excuse me. And the CBS guy there projected that Ohio, um, the Big Ten would have nine teams in the field. Nine. That's a lot of teams. Um, Big Ten's been really good. They have, I think they have three or four teams. No, they have four teams in the top ten. Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, and Iowa. And they're just really, really good. But Michigan would be number, my number one C because they play in a, in a tougher conference than Gonzaga. And they've only lost one game. And they've been, they, and it, it's not like they, they, they won close against Ohio State. And they've beaten everybody in their path. And if they win the Big Ten tournament, I would make them the number one overall seed. And March Madness. Gonzaga is really good too. Those would be the two teams I'd circle in. I'd pencil them into the Final Four right now if I were you. Gonzaga and Michigan. Taking a look at some dark horses. Don't count out the Buckeyes. They're number seven. Don't count them out. They've lost three in a row. Don't count them out. They have good shooters. They're coached 
by an excellent coach in Chris Holtman. They can make a run. And if you want a real dark horse, maybe a team that's not even in the top 25, I'll give you a, t a team that's near the end of the top 25 and then a team that's not in the top 25 that you should circle as uh, dark horses for March Madness. Loyola Chicago would be my team to circle that's in the top 25 that can make a run. We all remember their final four run from a couple years ago as an 11 seed with Sister Jean, the great nun herself. She was viral. They made the final four uh, improbable run in 2018. Um, and this year they're, they're ranked number 20. They are 21-4 and four right now. Um, they're really good. Um, they beat everybody in their path. And that's they're going to be a team that's going to be right around a 6-7, range team. They'll be a team that you'll be intrigued to pick to get upset in the first round by an 11-12 or 9-8 seed. You'll, you'll be intrigued to pick against them in the first round, but don't do it. Because Loyola Chicago, I know they don't play in a big, big boy conference. But these kids, those kids at those schools, they got nothing to lose. They got nothing to lose. I know Duke, Duke is not going to make the tournament. And that's it's going to be crazy to not see Duke in the tournament. But those kids at the schools like Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, Michigan State, the Blue Blood schools, they have so much pressure in March Madness to win. While schools like UMBC, like Loyola Chicago, like Butler, schools like those, those kids have no pressure. They're playing in March Madness. They just go out there and play basketball. And that's why they're dangerous, because they're playing with nothing to lose. That would be a team I would circle as a dark horse for the men's side. And a team that's not in the top 25 that did receive votes from the top 25. I know about this team personally since I follow the MAC a lot. The Toledo Rockets, ladies and gentlemen. They're the first seed in the MAC. They're 13-3 and of the MAC. They received eight votes for the top 25. They're going to be right around a 13-12 seed. You should pick them to win the first round, and I would not be surprised to see them go to Sweet 16. They have a ton of scores in double figures. They're led by Marion Jackson at Toledo. He's averaging about 19 points and 8 assists per game. He's really good. They have five players who average double figures, and they'll, they'll get to the MAC tournament. Uh, they'll get to the NCAA, NCAA tournament if they do win the MAC tournament. But the MAC tournament is a doozy on both the men's and the women's side because Honestly, in the, both the men's and the women's bracket, I can see any of the eight teams in the MAC winning the MAC tournament. That's how competitive the conference is this season. All right, so let's go from men's to women's. Let's talk about the women's Division One basketball rankings and give you some teams to watch for in women's March Madness. And then we'll get to some spring training baseball talk. All right, let's go to NCAA women's basketball top 25. We'll do the same thing, my teams to beat, and then we'll go to some dark horses. So let's go to the women's top 25. Number one is UConn. Is anybody surprised that UConn's number one in women's college basketball? Gino Oriema is a great coach, and UConn is a fantastic program. They're 20-1 this season, um, followed by Texas A&M, NC State, and Stanford. I would say the top five teams in, the, in the, these rankings, UConn, A&M, NC State, Stanford, and Louisville, those would be the teams I would circle. Those would be my favorites. Um, they're, 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 obviously, four of them will be one seeds, and then one of them will be two seeds. But they've just dominated everybody they played. Part of it's because of a conference-only schedule. I watched some of Louisville's game against Notre Dame the other day, and they absolutely just put the brakes on the Fighting Irish, a team that is normally like near the top of the women's basketball landscape. But those five teams are my favorites in women's college basketball. Teams that are on the outside looking in, 
I would circle for you to watch. Let's take a look at teams I would circle to I would circle for uh for this season in women's college basketball. I'll give you one cl- uh, in, in Northeast Ohio that's a, that is a team not in the top 25 that should be getting talked about and then I'll give you another team that's kind of not in the top 25 and then we'll give you we'll give you another one. All right, so let's take a look at these teams. A team that is not that is in the top 25 near the end that I would say you should definitely watch is the Arizona Wildcats. The Arizona Wildcats, they're number 11. They're still near the top 10. They are led by Ari McDonald. Ari McDonald, Ari McDonald. I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name. She is having a great year for the Arizona Wildcats. She's a 5'6 senior. She's averaging 19.6 rebounds and 5 assists per game. She is she is most responsible for lifting Arizona to the outskirts of the top five in the fir- in the first place. She's putting up the best assist to turnover ratio and three point efficiency of her four year career, despite all that, uh, despite all that is being asked of her as the team leader. And taking a look at some of the other top players in women's college basketball, I personally think the best player in women's college basketball plays for Kentucky. So that's another team in the top twenty five. They're number seventeen that I would circle. They're sixteen and seven. They are led by Player of the Year candidate. Ryan Howard. She's averaging 20.4 points per game, 7.1 rebounds per game, and 4 assists per game. She's the She was the preseason favorite for every major player of the year award and number one on the preseason list. She is she's really good. She has um she's averaging 27.8 points per game in four straight games against top 15 opponents in Arkansas, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, and South Carolina. You know what that means? It's the old saying, big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. And she's a big-time player, and that's why the Kentucky Wildcats should be a team you circle in women's college basketball. And two teams that I've had the pleasure of watching in person this season that you should watch out for in women's college basketball, if they sneak into March Madness, they will have to win the MAC probably, but there are two teams that you should circle. Obviously, I'm not going to say Kent State. That would sound a little biased, but if the Golden Flashes do get in, you should circle them because they can surprise some people. But we're going to talk about the Bowling Green Falcons. They're 13-3 and in the MAC. Um, they are led by Coach Fran Rekia. She's uh, – not Fran Rekia, excuse me, Robin Freilich. She's a really good coach. They have some really good players, Katie Hempfling, um, Angela Perry, Nyla Hampton, just to name a few, Lexi Fleming. Um, they are really, really good. And this Bowling Green team, they've beaten everybody – on their uh, uh, in their way in the MAC, they've they've just steamrolled everybody. They've they've had a couple of setbacks, but those three losses I mentioned, they're thirteen and three in the MAC. Those three losses by were by one by single possession or less. So they've been competitive in every single game. And then another team to circle in the um the, which is they're another MAC school, a women's team that I've had the pleasure of seeing in person. If they get into March Madness, you should watch out for them. Is the Buffalo Bulls. They made the Sweet 16 in 2018 under head coach Felicia Leggett-Jack, who did coach at Indiana prior to going to Buffalo. And they are led by De'Asia Fair. She's a, she's a sophomore guard from New York. She plays for Buffalo. She's the sixth leading scorer in the nation. She averages about 25 points per game. And she can do it all, folks. She can score. She can facilitate. And she is one of the fastest players in the country. If Bowling Green or Buffalo do get into the tournament, you should circle them, and they should be on your radar as dark horse teams to watch. All right, let's talk about some spring training baseball, specifically the Cleveland Indians, because I mentioned Francisco Lindor earlier. Um, I know a lot of people are saying, and I don't know that, Jack, the Indians, they lost Lindor, they lost Carrasco, are they still going to be good? And my answer is they can still be good because 
and you're saying, Jack, they traded away their best player. They traded away Mike Clevenger, Trevor Bauer, and Carlos Carrasco within the last calendar year, and they didn't bring back Corey Kluber. And I agree with you. But they still have the Cy Young, Cy Young winner in Shane Bieber. He did kind of get roughed up in his start yesterday for spring training. He pitched 1.2 innings pitched. He did give up three in runs, but he didn't throw his curveball, which is his most menacing pitch. He only threw a fastball changeup and a slider, and he was working more on his slider grip. And he might have hung a few because he was working on the grip. So that's probably why he did struggle. No free ads, but please stay hydrated. Um, so back to the Indians. Two players the Indians did pick up in free agency, um, not in free agency, in the trades of Francisco Lindor and Mike Clevenger, two very young players, Andreas Jimenez is 22, and Gabriel Arias is 21. They're two young shortstop centerpieces acquired in Francisco Lindor and Mike Clevenger's trade. So far in spring training for the Indians, they're 9 for 9 at the plate during spring training, and that obviously equates to an 1,000 batting batting average. Those two players are, are, are teams you should circle to watch. Andres Jimenez homered for the Indians today. He's been very impressive in camp so far, trying to win that starting shortstop job. And I would pick him to win that starting shortstop job if the season started today. The Indians will still be competitive because Terry Francona teams are competitive. I expect the Indians to win between 81 and 87 games this season and to be in contention for a wild card spot. I love the signing of Rosario. I love that they still have Jose Ramirez, and I think Franmil Reyes is going to hit 40 home runs this year. And I think the Indians will still be near the top of the AL Central. Um, I just think it's crazy that um, the Indians have those guys that they got in those trades that they got so heavily criticized for contributing in spring training, and hopefully that translates to the big league level. And the other Indian story I want to talk about, Josh Naylor. We remember Josh Naylor. Uh, last year, he started 5-for-5 five five in the playoffs, including 3-for-3 uh, three three against Garrett Cole, followed it up next day with two straight hits against the Yankees. Josh Naylor's been killing the ball. He has three RBIs today. He, he should be the Indians' starting left fielder. I would love to see what Josh Naylor can do on the offensive side of the ball because the Indians need some offense from the outfield, and I think Josh Naylor's got enough energy. He plays with a lot of passion, and we've seen glimpses of what he can do. And looking around Major League Baseball as a whole, Fernando Tatis, the face of baseball, I like to call him, he had a grand slam today. He looks like the real deal. He's on the cover of MLB The Show, and I'm so excited to get that video game. Finally, they make an MLB The Show video game for the Xbox. Finally. I'm so excited to see that. Um, it was weird seeing Corey Kluber pitch in spring training with the Yankee pinstripes on. I did not like it as a Cleveland Indians fan. That was my worst fear when Corey Kluber was like winning Cy Youngs. I was like, he cannot go to the Yankees. Please do not let him go to the Yankees. And and he, now he's at the Yankees. And that's probably another big takeaway of mine. Seeing Lindor with the Mets, Arenado with the Cardinals, Blake Snell with the Padres, these um the the familiar faces in new places, it's kind of weird. And it just shows the changing landscape of Major League Baseball. Um, but I'm excited. In the next couple of weeks here on the podcast, I will be previewing each and every division as we do lead up to opening day, which is rapidly approaching next month. And I'm so excited to start talking baseball again, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so we are going to do our joke go to the week, and then we are going to say our goodbyes until next time. But the joke go to the week is presented by Anchor. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Go to anchor.fm to start your very own podcast today. So my joke go to the week, 
my joke goat of the week, not of the wheat, is Alex Smith. Alex Smith, we know NFL comeback player of the year. He got released by the Washington football team this week um, after leading them to the playoffs last season. And the fact that the man stepped on a football field after that gruesome leg injury that he almost died from, that's an accomplishment in itself. The fans of the Washington football team and the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers have enjoyed countless success because of Alex Smith. And he is a true hero to this game of football. And I would love to see a team like the Cincinnati Bengals pick him up and give him another chance to play in the NFL. But if he never plays again, I think he should have a future in coaching or in broadcasting because Alex Smith is truly, truly one of the best stories in the NFL. And in all of football and in all of sports today, the comeback that he made is truly inspiring. And it shows that you can always do anything that you set your mind to. All right, we are going to go. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Jack of All Trades. If you like the podcast, be sure to follow me on Twitter at TV to follow with all my TV broadcasting side of things. And be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at, at Jot Sports Pod. That's at J-O-T Sports Pod. We'll be posting episode highlights, episode recaps, and episode promos on there. So you will not want to miss it. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, please stay safe, wash your hands, wear your masks, all that good stuff. And we will catch you on the flip side next week, previewing some March Madness, talking some Major League Baseball. We'll start next week with our AL Central and NL Central preview. And of course, keeping you updated on everything happening in the wide world of sports. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'm Jack Bernie. It's been a pleasure.